an objection isn't a fact. It's a story and it's a bad story, right? They're thinking, if I buy what you're selling, it's not going to work right. It's going to be too expensive. I'm going to blow my budget. My boss is going to yell at me. I'm going to get a bad performance review. I'm going to get fired, right? That whole chain of events is playing out in their mind if they make a bad decision, right? A bad purchase decision. Well, you can't replace that bad story with a fact. You can only replace it with a good story. So you need to have an objections resolving story. And that story is simply about some other prospect you had or customer you've had who had the same objection. And it turned out the problem never materialized that they were worried about all along. This is Outside Sales Talk, the best podcast for outside salespeople. I'm your host, Steve Benson. And we're here to chat with the world's top sales experts so that you can get their best sales tactics to level up your game. Welcome to Outside Sales Talk. Today, we have Paul Andrew Smith with us, and we're talking about selling with a story. Welcome to the show, Paul. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm uh, excited to be here. Awesome. By way of introduction, Paul Andrew Smith is one of the world's leading experts on organizational storytelling and one of Inc. Magazine's top 100 leadership speakers of 2018. He was an executive at Procter & Gamble for 20 years before transitioning to become a nationally recognized storytelling coach. Paul is a best-selling author of several books that revolve around storytelling, and his work has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Time, Forbes, and, uh, and more. So welcome to the show, and I guess let's get started. First, why do you think storytelling is so important in sales? Yeah, you know, for some of the same reasons it's important in leadership and parenting and a lot of other avenues in life and that it's just a more effective influencing tool. And I get maybe sales more than any other, your job is influence, right? You're trying to influence people to change their, to change their opinion about something or make a purchase decision or, you know, do, do something, right? And uh, it, it turns out humans don't make the rational, logical decisions that we'd like to think they do. You know, we all, we all think that we're these, you know, super smart, rational creatures, but uh, a lot of the cognitive science that's been done in the last two or three decades tells us that many, if not most of our decisions are actually made in a subconscious emotional processing part of the brain. And then we justify those decisions a few nanoseconds later in a more rational thinking, conscious thinking part of the brain. So when you leave that decision-making process, that rational conscious part's the only part that you remember. You don't remember that your more reptilian brain actually decided for you a, a brief moment earlier and the rest of your brain is just trying to catch up. And, and storytelling is just uh, one of the best vehicles we have to reach both parts of the brain. You know, our, our very rational, you know, three reasons why you should buy my product or, you know, here are the you know, five features that distinguish my product from the others. Those only talk to that, that rational conscious thinking part of the brain. They don't get into that other part where the decisions are actually made. That, that's, that's probably the main reason. There's probably a dozen others, but that's uh, that's probably the most important one. Yeah, I mean that, that definitely resonates with me. I mean, I, I remember telling the story about what you know. I, I've got like I've pitched Badger a million times over the years at different things, and and you know, I, can, I can give a bunch of logical reasons why it saves you time or money for a field sales team. But the a lot of times the thing people are, remember is like my story about how how the company got started. And that was like, I was in field sales and I, you know, I don't need to retell the story now, but it was like a a story of how I needed a tool such as this, that 
it, mm -hmm. you know, kind of caused me to make the company and, and, uh, right. and that and, people, and, people will bring that up because that's the part that sticks with them. Right. And, and that's another reason is that's the part that sticks with them. So uh, stories are easier to remember. You know, there have been a number of studies that show that facts are between something like six and 22 times more likely to be remembered if those facts are embedded in a story than if they're just given to people in a list, right? So that's one of the other many reasons that stories are just more memorable than just about any other set of words that'll come out of your mouth. Yeah, that, that makes a ton of sense. Well, and, and how do you compare like a sales story versus a sales pitch? Like how do you, could you define those for us and talk about how they're different, how they're similar? Yeah. Yeah, so a sales pitch is essentially a list of reasons to buy something, right? I mean, if, if you really boiled it down, it's unless you just have one reason and then it's not really a list, it's just one reason. But normally there's three or four or five reasons and that's your, your essentially your sales pitch. A sales story is a real story, meaning it's a narrative about something that happened to someone that helps people either want your product more or be willing to pay more for it or recognize that they have that problem themselves. And um, so, so a, a sales story isn't just one thing. Well, everybody needs a sales story. There are dozens of stories you need to tell over the course of uh, you know, a, a sales process. Um, maybe it'd be easy if I, it's easiest if I just gave you an example. Yeah, a, a tell me a story. Example. <laughs> yeah, this, and this is something that actually happened to me personally. So my wife and I were at Coney Island in Cincinnati. Um, and there is a Coney Island in Cincinnati. I know the New York one's a lot more famous. But anyway, we're at Coney Island and it's, it's been transformed into an art show. So these artists from all over the country are there selling their art. And my wife is looking for a picture for our kids' bathroom at home. And we, we're going booth to booth to booth. And we get to this one booth of this guy named Chris Gugliamello. You look this guy up, you Google him. He's, he's awesome. He takes these just mesmerizing underwater pictures of sea anemones and coral reefs and sharks and whales and stuff. Anyway, she's flipping through his pictures and she just gets attached to this one picture that to me looked about as out of place as a pig in the ocean because it literally, Steve, was a picture of a pig in the ocean. And I just thought, well, that's, well, that's dumb, right? I mean, pigs are not seafaring creatures. They generally don't swim. That's dumb. Like, why, why would, I, I have no interest in that. But my wife loved it. Well, so the artist is there. So I asked him, I was like, dude, what's with the pig in the ocean? And that's when the magic started. The guy says, oh yeah, Paul, that was the craziest thing. He said, that picture was taken off the coast of this uninhabited island in the Bahamas called Big Major K. And he said, apparently what happened was a few years earlier, some local entrepreneur decided to raise a pig farm for bacon, I guess. Anyway, he found out there was this uninhabited island where he could keep the pigs for free, right? Well, he's no dummy, so he's going to put them on the free place, right? He said, but look in the picture, look up there behind the pig, up on the beach, behind the beach, what kind of vegetation do you see growing up there? And I kind of squinted at it and I said, well, you know, the only thing I can recognize is cactus. And he said, right, that's a problem. Pigs don't like cactus. <laughs> like literally there was nothing on this island for these pigs to eat. So the entrepreneur was not so smart after all, right? Well, fortunately for him, a local restaurant owner on a neighboring island was boating his kitchen refuse every night over to Big Major K and literally dumping it overboard into the ocean, like just the kitchen scraps, right? Just to get rid of them. Well, if you're a hungry pig, you'll do anything, right? You get hungry enough, you'll do anything. So eventually these hungry little pigs, one of them, dog paddles or pig paddles or whatever his way out 
you know, into the ocean a few dozen yards to get all this food that's floating out there. And then, of course, it's two little pigs and then three little pigs. And he said, and here it is three generations later. And all the pigs on Big Major K can swim. In fact, nobody even calls it Big Major K anymore. They all call it Pig Island. And if you go on a cruise ship down into the Bahamas, ask him to take you to, you know, Pig Island because everybody loves it because the pigs all swim. Anyway, he said it was the easiest picture I ever took. You know, normally I got to put on all my scuba equipment and it takes hours and I got to go into water and wait for something interesting to happen. And he said, I literally boated up to this island and the pigs swam out to my boat, right? They, they thought I was the guy from the restaurant, right? I, she said, I just leaned over the side of the boat with my camera, snapped, easiest picture I ever took, one of my best sellers. And I'm like, sold, I'll take it right now. So <laughs> I don't even care if my wife likes it anymore. I want that picture now, right? Now, ask yourself why, why in the two minutes it took him to tell me that story, it, it went from just a stupid picture that made no sense at all to something I had to have. And the answer is because he told me an interesting story about it, right? And it, now he could have, and by the way, I love that story. I love hearing the story. I love telling the story. Steve, if you come to my house and go to the bathroom, I'm going to tell you the story again, right? You know, um, but imagine how he could have sold me that in a traditional sales pitch. It probably would have sounded something like this. Well, Paul, there are three reasons why you should buy this particular picture. First of all, it's the right size to fit on the bathroom wall in a kid's bathroom at home. Your wife's already shown me the picture, right? Um, second of all, it's the right color palette to match the decor in the bathroom. And thirdly, it's in the right price range that you've already told me you're willing to pay to spend on something like this. So you should, that's why you should buy this picture. And those are the three very rational, logical reasons to buy that picture, right? But there were probably dozens of pictures at that art fair that met all three criteria, but there's only one that had an interesting story attached to it. And that's why it's the one upstairs in, the, in my kid's bathroom right here. Right, so the story made the difference, right? Now that, that's just one kind of story, but when I say a sales story, that's, that's one of the kind of things I mean. Literally a story that merely helps you move your sales process along to the next step. In this case, it was to close, but there are stories you can tell, you know, to get you from, you know, I've just met you to I wanna have a sales call with you to, you know, building rapport to making the sales pitch to, you know, closing the sale or resolving objections or service after the sale. There are different stories you could tell all along that path, but that, that's what I mean. I mean, a real story. That's so fantastic. And really, you know, it, I think you connect with the story too. It's like you, you connect with the pigs and their strife. You can imagine being hungry. You can, it's like a, it's a tale of overcoming adversity and difficult situations. And it, and it, and it connects you like you, you, you have, there are emotional attachments to a story that, that just don't exist with logical reasons, like, you know, how big the painting was. Right, um, exactly. Well, in, in one of your books, you talk about the 10 stories that leaders need to tell. Can you elaborate on, on that? Like, what are, the, what are these types? What, how do they break down? Yeah, yeah, I'll just, I'll just give you the whole list right now. Um, so, well, let me first tell you the reason I came up with this list and, and wrote a whole book about it is because you know, in, in the book, Sell with a Story, that that story about the pigs uh, came from, <laughs> um, I, I outlined 25 different types of stories that great salespeople tell all throughout the sales process, you know, that I just mentioned from beginning to end. So, you know, a handful of stories you might tell in each phase of the sales process. In my first book, Lead with a Story, I covered 20 some odd different types of leadership stories. And I wrote a book on parenting for uh, storytelling for parents, how to teach their kids character. And there's 20 some odd different types of stories there. And so 
if you do the math, there's like these, you know, 70 or 80 types of stories that I tend to traffic in that I teach people how to tell. And that's just a lot. And so, you know, I finally just got challenged, like, look, that's just too many. What are the most important 10? And so it just seemed like an obvious question to center a book around. So I did, I, I looked back over my, you know, decade of doing research in this area and working with clients and coaching executives to figure out what are the most important 10 stories for any leader to tell. So with that preamble, here's the list, right? Um, the first four kind of go together because they're about setting direction for the organization. So here they are, uh, where we came from. So that's a founding story. Why we can't stay there. So that's a case for change story. Where we're going, which is a vision story and how we're gonna get there, which is a strategy story. Because strategy is about how you're gonna get from where you are now to where you wanna be. Um, the next four kind of go together as well too, but they're more about who we are as an organization. So that's what we believe as a corporate value story who we serve, which is a customer story. This is very important for salespeople. So this is a story about your customers that you would not tell to the customer because they already know who they are. This is the story you tell to your peers, your boss, your, your peer group, your subordinates, your department at work so that everybody has a personal, human, visceral understanding of the real boss you're all working for, the ultimate customer, right? Um, what we do for our customers, that's number six or seven, how far we are into the list, which is a classical sales story. That's so you can explain what your company does for customers. That's so awesome, they should pay you to do it. Um, and then number eight is uh, how we're different from our competitors. I think everybody needs to be able to tell a story like that, even if you're, whether you're in sales or not, um, to show how you're different from your competitors, right? Um, which leaves two more, I think. Um, but those are more personal to you, the leader. So that's um, why I lead the way I do. So that's a personal leadership philosophy story. And the last one is why you should want to work here. Not you, but you know, you, whoever you're talking to, right? So, and I think those two are important because no matter what department you're leading, uh, it's not just the job of HR and recruiting to bring in talented people, attract them and have them come to the organization and stay. Every leader kind of has that role. Um, so I think those are two important ones as well. And there, I mean, there are dozens of other leadership stories, but if I had to, you know, name my top 10, those would be it. Those, yeah. And I, I, I feel like when you hire new sales reps, you, you want to almost arm them with these stories, right? Like when, when I, when I, everyone that gets hired at Badger, I have them, I, I make sure that, that, you know, whether they're in sales or not, I make sure that they can give an elevator pitch on what we do and like, you know, can, are, are confident just bringing it up in conversation and talking about it because, um, but I, I think for salespeople, especially you want to like arm them with all these answers, right? Like give them the story behind it. And that, that, mm -hmm. that, uh, that, that definitely resonates with me. Um, and how do you decide where in the sales process to bring up these different stories? Yeah, so, so remember those 10 are really not just for salespeople, they're for any department. For, so for the sales folks, the, the 25 stories, which I really haven't mentioned many of, they fit exactly where you would think of. So if, you're in, if you've just met somebody, you're at the very beginning of the sales process, you've just met a prospect, one of the types of stories you'd want to tell is a, you know, what is it I do for a living <laughs> story. Right, just so they can understand. Oh, is this somebody that can help me, or is this just somebody that's nice to know at the hors d'oeuvres table? You know, uh, so uh, you know uh, what we do. Explaining what you do simply, type story, because they may not be in an industry that understands you at all. So you've got to have a really simple way to articulate and explain what you do for a living. You know, then you move into the like, okay, now I've got a sales call, my first sales call with you, and I, I need to build rapport. 
So there are, you know, a few types of stories you'll want to tell there. You know, several of them are just building rapport. So stories about you, about why you do what you do. Um, you might tell the story of your company, the founding story of your company. Um, you might tell that how we're different from our competitor story here. So you just kind of let it, introducing them to you and your organization. You're not really trying to sell anything in particular yet. You're selling you and the company at this point. You know, then you move into the sales process where you're actually going to make some sales pitches. You might have one or two or three or, or more. You know, here's where you'd want to tell a story about uh, the invention of the product that you're trying to sell them or the service you're trying to sell them. Um, you probably want to tell them what I call a problem story. So that's a story that illustrates the quintessential problem that your product or service solves. And that's a super important story to tell, especially if your prospect doesn't even know they have the problem, right? You've got to help them understand, no, you do have this problem and I can help you fix it, right? And then you might move into a customer success story, the most common type of sales story that you'll ever tell, which, you know, which follows very nicely after the problem story. So by the way, let me tell you a story about how we've helped several companies just like yours solve problems exactly like this, right? You know, and then, you know, you move further into the process and you've got to resolve objections because they always come up in any good sales, you know, process, right? So somebody has an objection. Oh, the price is too high. Or the quality is not good enough or the delivery won't be fast enough or I don't think you're qualified or whatever. Well, you, an objection, you have to think about what that is in the buyer's mind. An objection isn't a fact. It's a story and it's a bad story right? They're thinking, if I buy what you're selling, it's not going to work right. It's going to be too expensive. I'm going to blow my budget. My boss is going to yell at me. I'm going to get a bad performance review. I'm going to get fired, right? That whole chain of events is playing out in their mind if they make a bad decision, right? A bad purchase decision. Well, you can't replace that bad story with a fact. You can only replace it with a good story. So you need to have an objections resolving story. And that story is simply about some other prospect you had or customer you've had who had the same objection and it turned out the problem never materialized that they were worried about all along or when it did materialize you solved it immediately right so that's the kind of story that they'll will convince them oh i guess i don't need to worry about that problem then do i exactly right you know and then you move along you know th then you've got to close the sale and they're actually i found in the research for this their salespeople are using specific types of stories to create a sense of urgency to close the sale now instead of waiting for six months, right? For the buyer, this is when the buyer says, oh, you know what? I love that, we need that, I can afford that, but now's not the right time, come back in six months. You know, that's like the worst thing in the world, right? Yeah, basically I did my job great as a salesperson and you're still telling me to come back later. This is a story you tell at that moment to get them to realize, oh, I shouldn't wait, I should buy now. Right? It's essentially a story about somebody else who waited and regretted it because something bad happened that your product could have solved for them. Right. Mm -hmm. and, yeah, and then I, you know, I the tell last... a story right there oh, right. that uh, I, I tell a story right there that's basically about, well, here's how I'll, I'll, I'll actually kind of, well, I guess I'm kind of creating their own story, but figuring out how much they're losing every month by not moving yeah. forward now by, because it's very easy to be number three there for the, for someone to decide, Oh, I do want to do this, but it's, it's number five on the priority list. And who knows mm -hmm. how long that's going to take. But uh, if you, if you, I, I like to, to kind of walk through someone um, and kind of discuss, well, how much are you losing every month by, by doing right. this? And it kind of becomes almost like a future story of theirs. Like you will be right. losing this much money every month. And you can kind of yeah. walk them through and show them all the places that they're, they're giving something up or losing something or not gaining something. 
by not making a decision, then you can kind of show them, okay, well, so right. why, why well, not but, just do this right away? So, so imagine, so th that's one method is to basically calculate it for them and show them and walk them through what they're going to lose every month. Now compare that to what if you told them instead, let me tell you about one of my other uh, clients who was in the same situation you are, stood to lose that much money every month and waited and they didn't. And it turns out they even, they lost more than that, or it turns out their company got acquired or they bought somebody else and therefore the department changed and they never got to implement it and their job got eliminated or what, you know, mm -hmm. you know, whatever else bad happened that it's maybe not even predictable in advance, but it definitely happened because they didn't have the thing that you were selling. If they'd mm -hmm. had it, that wouldn't have happened. And so it's the element of the unknown that is even more compelling because they can do the math and they can compare it to these other four priorities that are higher than theirs, but it's the unexpected cost that is even more compelling. So th those are two similar um, methods, but one includes a story and one doesn't. And you know, it'd be good to have both, obviously. That That is really powerful. I love that. Um, do, do you have advice for, for people who don't feel like they're natural born storytellers or maybe who have doubts in their ability to communicate with stories? Yeah, and it's, uh, and I'm laughing because a lot of people are in that situation. You know, we just, we don't feel like we're good at that. We, we weren't born with the gift of gab or whatever. Um, just treat storytelling like any other business skill that you want to have, right? Whether, you know, marketing, finance, sales, accounting, you know, whatever. Um, take it seriously and study it, right? So if, if you felt like you needed to understand finance better uh, to do well at your job, what would you do? Well, you'd go take a class, you'd read a book, you'd watch some YouTube videos, you'd learn from somebody who knew, like that's what you would do. But storytelling, for some reason, people don't think of that way. They just think, oh, I guess I should just start telling more stories. Well, that's like saying, I'd like to learn how to play the guitar. So I'm just going to buy a guitar and start playing songs. Well, that's not how it works, right? You, you, you would take lessons from somebody who knew how to play the guitar. Do the same thing with storytelling. Buy a book, you know, watch some videos, take a class, you know, learn, it, learn it like a professional skill and you can get good at it. Yeah, that, that makes, that makes absolute, absolute sense to me. What, what would you say are some of your top tips to crafting great stories? Yeah, so first of all is knowing what stories you need to tell. And that's the biggest surprise that most of my clients go through is, you know, they, they come to me and say, hey, we need you to help us work on our sales story. And the first thing I say is, well, which one? And then they, they look like a deer in headlights. Well, you know, our sales story. And I say, again, yeah. well, so the first problem is you think you just have one sales story. And, and, and maybe you do, and that's a problem. You need dozens of sales stories. So the first thing we'll do is figure out which ones you need. And their eyes get really big when they realize, oh, you mean I could be telling a, a story to get people to have a more sense of urgency to buy? Oh, you mean I could be telling a problem story? Oh, you mean I, yeah, like they just don't even realize it. So the first thing is make a wish list. I wish I had stories to accomplish these various objectives throughout my entire sales process. So now you have a, a list of stories you wish you had, and then go find them. Go find things that really happened either to you or to your customers or your clients or your prospects or your boss or somebody else that will serve that purpose, right? So now you actually have a story you need and a, an event that happened that you're going to craft a story around. And then it's about how to craft it. But 
if, if you teach people all the how-to without them knowing what stories I need and where to find them, it doesn't do much good. But once you've done those two things, then yeah, there's some simple tips, like you need a good structure for your story, right? And I think there, there are eight questions. I'll be glad to give them to you if you're interested. The eight questions I think your story needs to answer and in this particular order, right? Mm -hmm. I think yeah. there are some techniques to create a, uh, the right emotional engagement in stories. There are ways to create a surprise ending. So there, there are definitely tactics in how to craft a story. Um, you you want to have a, yeah. a look at the, the eight questions? Yeah, let, let's, let's dig into those. That sounds fantastic. Yeah, so um, yeah, the first one is, why should I bother listening to the story? Right? You have to let your audience, give them a reason to listen to you for the next two minutes, because that's about how long these stories are, or they might not, right? So you, you kind of have to answer that question for them. And, and I can explain how to do that in more detail if you're interested. But once is that, you've got their attention- the, Is that what you call the hook? Yeah, yeah, that's the hook. Yeah, and it, you know, it's, it's just as simple as something like, wow, that's a, that does sound like a tough problem. Let me tell you what my two best customers do when they run into that problem. Okay, well, now they're all here. Oh, great. You mean you, you work with people who have the same problem I've got and they found a solution? Great. I want to hear that story, right? Everybody wants to hear that story. That's the hook. So it's only one or two sentences, but now that you've answered that question, why should I bother listening to your story? So once you've done that, you've earned the right to answer the next five questions. So here they are. Where and when did it take place? Who's the main character and what did they want? What was the problem or opportunity they ran into? What did they do about it? And how did it turn out in the end? I right, know that should sound like the natural flow of a story, right? Because well, because it is the natural flow of a story. But if you're keeping track, that should be just six, right? So there are two more questions. Uh, number seven is, what did you learn from the story? Number eight is, what do you think I should go do now? I, the person you're talking to, right? So that's your opportunity to make a recommendation, which is, you know, either buy my product or have a have a meeting with me, or let's move to the next phase of the sales process, or let me connect you with my engineering tech or whatever the next thing is, right? Um, so those are kind of the eight questions. And if you, if you answer those questions in that order, a story will emerge in the natural way that human beings most appreciate hearing a story. Because if you do it in a different order, like, like if you answer that second question, where and when did it happen? If you don't answer that till the end, it kind of freaks people out, right? Because especially if you're telling a really fantastic story and you haven't told them where, when it happened, they kind of wonder if you're making it up, right? But, but if I tell you that, you know, a couple of summers ago at Coney Island in Cincinnati, like I did at the beginning of the podcast, you naturally assume that it's a true story, right? Oh, this, this guy's telling me a true story. He knows exactly where and when it happened. And it was a true story, right? But if I were to tell you, you know, once upon a time in a land far away, like, you know, it's a made up story. But if you don't answer that question at all, if you never say where, when it happened, your audience just doesn't know. Is this, is this made up or, or is this true? And that really bugs people. And so if you haven't answered that question early in the story, you're, you're answering question three, four, five, and they're still stuck on question two. They're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> are, you, are you making this up? Like, yeah, so answer them in the wrong. right order. Yeah, it feels wrong if you don't answer those questions in that order. Mm-hmm. And I guess the one one key thing that jumped out to me as you were talking was that the difference between a or a difference between a, a regular story, an Aesop's fable or whatever, and a sales story is sales stories have um, a like a, a next step at the end. Yeah, yeah. Even Aesop's fables have a lesson, and a sales story should have a lesson 
but it's should be followed by that question eight. What do you recommend I go do now? What's the next step? Yeah, ESOP just wants you to learn the lesson. Salespeople need to teach a lesson as well, but it should be followed by that uh, recommendation. But um, since you mentioned it, questions seven or eight shouldn't be answered by the salesperson. So you should answer questions one through six. You want your audience, the buyer, to answer questions seven or eight, seven and eight, okay? And the reason is because people are more passionate about pursuing their own ideas than they are about pursuing your ideas, right? And so the part of the brilliance of a story is it turns your idea into their idea, right? You, you tell a, a story like the Pig Island story. Well, after, after Chris Goog told me that Pig Island story, he didn't have to say, so the lesson here, Paul, is that you should buy this picture. And my recommendation is that you buy this picture. <laughs> he had no need to say those two things, right? I did for him. I said, oh, that is awesome. Give me the picture. Take my money now, right? <laughs> so, so you stop after you've answered question number six and see what their reaction is. And if they learn the right lesson, and if they're going to go do what you wanted them to do, you're done, right? I mean, what's the, what's the oldest uh, adage in sales, right? When the buyer says yes, shut up and go home, right? Um, so nothing you can say after that will help you. It just you, you've already you've already won, right? So once you've answered question six, pause, listen, see what their reaction is, and if they get the wrong, if they learn the wrong lesson, or they they don't tell you they're going to go do what you want them to do. You can always redirect them, right? You can always say, you know, that's an interesting conclusion. I, I came to a different conclusion and here's why. Or, you know, that's one thing you could do, but I've got a better recommendation and here it is and here's why. You can always redirect, but nine times out of 10, if you pick the right story to tell, they'll come to the right conclusion and then it'll be their idea and not your idea. Yeah, another difference that kind of jumps out at me has to do with surprise endings. I'm, I, I've, I've said before that... Uh, Stories like when you're telling a story in sales, you shouldn't have a surprise in there. You should got to make the point up front and then build build it down. But um, you know, but whereas in a movie or a, 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 a there's a lot of surprise endings or twists at the end or like you know the building excitement and then a release, which is. But I, I'm wondering if 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 you have a different take on that or if uh, how how do you think a sales story should be structured? Like should yeah. it be should it have that? build up and then the release of a surprise ending or a twist at the end, or should it be, you know, straightforward and upfront? So I think it should have that surprise ending, a sales story, a sales pitch shouldn't a sales pitch should be exactly like you described, right? There should be no surprise. I'm trying to sell you, you know, whatever it is, a car or something. And that shouldn't be a surprise. Um, my, your recommendation shouldn't be a surprise in the sales pitch, but all of these sales stories that you tell, should be structured just like any story. There should be a nice surprise ending, right? So, um, and there's a very simple technique uh, to do that. And I could just, I'll demonstrate it for you right now. Um, so there's this uh, young kid, nine-year-old boy named James. Uh, and he's in the kitchen with, he was in the kitchen with his mom and his mom's sister. Well, while mom and auntie are sitting at the kitchen table, having a cup of tea, James is standing at the stove watching the tea kettle boil. And he's just fascinated with it, right? He's watching the jet of steam come out of the tea kettle and he's got a spoon and he holds it up there into the front of the jet of steam and watches it condenses into little drops of water and trickles down the spoon into a cup he's got sitting there so he doesn't make a mess and anyway he's just watching the cycle go over and over again just fascinated with it well eventually his mother just like barks at him she's like james go 
do your homework, ride your bike, read a book. Like, like, aren't you ashamed of yourself just staring at the tea kettle, you know, like a weirdo? Well, fortunately, young James was, I guess, undaunted by his mother's admonition because 20 years later, at the age of 29, of course, and in the year 1765, James Watt reinvented the steam engine, ushering in the Industrial Revolution that we, of course, all benefit from today, and all based on that fascination with steam that he developed at the age of nine in his mother's kitchen, right? Now, the first time I read that story, it was in a biography of James Watt, the inventor of the steam engine. So, of course, it was no surprise to me that the story in chapter one about nine-year-old James was about the inventor of the steam engine. But to you and your listeners, unless you're a history buff, that was probably a surprise, right? And why was it a surprise? Because I didn't tell you his last name, right? <laughs> I mean, that's the technique. The technique is take one or two small but vital pieces of information that typically belong at the beginning of the story and don't give them to your audience until the end of the story. Presto, surprise ending, right? So I took his last name and the year, 1765, and I didn't give it to you until the end of the story. And that just creates a surprise ending. You, you really can do that with almost any story to create that surprise. And it makes it a lot more interesting to, to listen to, right? It makes it more yeah. fun, I think. Um, it does. And, and I guess is that, how does, how does it being more fun and engaging help make sales happen? Ah, <laughs> great question. Um, it, it, not for that reason. So it, it is fun and it is engaging, but the reason it helps sales is because it makes it more memorable. So um, it turns out, and this is, again, the cognitive science over the last couple of decades kind of bears this out. It turns out that human memories aren't formed instantaneously, like a, like a digital camera takes a picture. It's more like, and you might not be old enough to remember this, but the old days of film cameras, you had to take a picture and then go develop it in a dark room for an hour or two or whatever. That's how memories are formed. It's slower. There's a, there's a period of time from a few seconds to a few minutes to a few hours after something happens before it's actually kind of rendered in short-term memory. And during that time, it's vulnerable to either being lost or being enhanced. And it turns out that when somebody is surprised, their body naturally releases a little bit of adrenaline, right? Like the kind of whole fight or flight mentality when you get scared. Same for getting surprised. Adrenaline gets released in your system. Well, it turns out that adrenaline makes that memory consolidation process faster and more efficient, which means you remember things better. When, you've, you're, when you're hopped up on adrenaline, okay? So when you put a surprise at the end of the story where the recommendation and the, you know, uh, and the lesson is, it literally makes that story more memorable to the buyer. So there's a very practical, pragmatic, physiological reason to put a surprise at the end of your sales stories. It's because it'll make them more memorable and, and they need to be memorable for them to work better. That is a really great answer. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, can you can you give me an example um, for of a story that that when that when you were selling something um, got someone's attention, built their trust, and and closed a sale? Well, there's a lot in there. Like so, the the building trust comes from uh, the stories you tell during the rapport building phase. Um, you know, closing the sale. There are different stories you would tell there. Uh, uh, what was the other one? Uh, the, the, uh, yeah, uh, you got get, that from the title of the getting book. Getting their really attention. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, so, so the getting attention is like the hook at the beginning of all the stories, right? So, so each of the stories that I've told you so far probably contains the attention getting part, right? So that, that always works. When you tell an interesting story, um, you've gotten their attention. The building trust though, the, there are specific types of stories to build trust. So for example, uh, the two most important ones I think are these, and, and I, I learned these um, from actually interviewing buyers, not salespeople. And I asked them, uh, you know, what could salespeople do to immediately earn credibility with you? And almost all of them told me the same thing, the same two things. One is tell me when you made a mistake before I find out from somebody else, right? If I find it from somebody else, you're in trouble. If you make a mistake, I want you to own up to it and tell me. Um, and the second one was, tell me when you can't help me, right? Like I hate, they, they say, I hate it when salespeople come in here and tell me, I can solve all your problems, all of them. Anything you need, I can get it. Any problem you have, my product will solve it, right? Because I know that's not true. And, and I, they say, I would trust you more if you were honest about with me when you're not the best solution to my problem. Because if you are, I'm more likely to believe you when you are the best solution to my problem. So you now, unfortunately, you can't just go into a sales call and say, hey, look, um, I'll always tell you when I made a mistake before you find it from somebody else. And I promise to never tell you I can help you if I can. I mean, that might be nice, but they have no reason to believe you. However, mm -hmm. if you tell them a story about a time you actually did that, like, let me tell you about a time I made a mistake with one of my clients and I owned up to it and I fixed it for them before it became a real issue, then they'll believe you. Or let me tell you about a time when uh, I had a client ask me for something and instead of telling them, oh yeah, I can do that. I said, you know what? That is just not my company's forte. Um, you would be, be we can do it, but we won't be the best at it. Let me help you find somebody who can really do that better than us. And then when you have a problem I can solve, um, I I'd be happy to do business with you. And, and you tell them about a time when you actually said that to somebody then they'll believe you because you've done it before, right? They'll believe that you'll do it again. Um, so the story is more effective again than just making promises that could be empty promises. Yeah, I would actually, I would say that every company should train their salespeople to know the adjacencies, the mm -hmm. like adjacent products and services to them, like the things that smell similar and look similar, but actually it's not the same thing. Like I, I train all my reps um, and I don't know how much you know about our company, but we, we make a, a mapping and routing product for salespeople. So it's kind of like, a, it's a, it, you would call it a territory management solution. Mm -hmm. Trickily, a territory management solution, if you were looking for that, you could also be looking for something to like design and build territories for your sales teams. So mm -hmm. sales territory management solution can really mean two different things there. And so I train all my reps to, to, to know what the other two like those, like yeah. the two companies that do, a good word for yeah, because some people use us for it, but it's not the right thing, right? And it's always mm -hmm. better to be like, I oh, don't know, no, you, you, if you have a real problem with building your territories, this is what you want, right? Like, where to route around the territories that are already built, this is to build it. Um, and so knowing who to point people to, uh, having your having that at your rep's fingertips, like the name of the company, and and uh, right. And even uh, a slide in the deck, like, and, and if you can put like partnerships in place with like adjacent mm -hmm. companies, I think that helps too, yeah. to actually be like, hey, I can introduce you to that company should you want to know someone, because we kind of know those guys, because, right. you know, it's a similar yeah. space, right? And yeah. 
I think that's a really now, good thing to train your sales team around. Right. Now, now interesting though, is that, um, you know, so as you're advising people to, you know, be able to tell those stories about when you told somebody you couldn't help, you weren't the best solution for them, you know, or that, you know, it, you have to have had a time in the past where you've done that to tell a story about it. And if you've never done that, well, guess what? You're that guy that they don't want to do business with because you, you must always tell them that you're, you've got the solution, right? So you have to start by not being that guy. Mm. And then once you're not that guy, then tell a story about it. And then they'll believe you that you're not that guy. Absolutely. Uh, great advice. Um, well, the next, uh, the next section is sales in 60 seconds. So quick questions, quick answers. First question, what are some of the key aspects every sales story should have? Mm, well, the structure, for sure. Something emotional, something to create emotional engagement. And it doesn't have to be any one particular emotion, happiness, sadness, confusion, you know, fear, <laughs> any, almost any emotion will work. And then uh, we talked about surprise too. And I think those are the three kind of main things, a good structure, emotional connection, and a surprise. What would you say makes something, makes a story have a, a great emotional connection? What, what would you do to infuse a story with emotion or emo yeah, uh, so to drive? Because I feel like you almost need to pick the right emotion that this person's going to empathize with the most or is going to trigger. So it's like art, you know, it's like it's got to elicit a response and an emotional response. But how do you how do you how do you know which one to pick or how do you go about doing that? Yeah, so I advise people. So once you've kind of written out the structure of the story, like an answer those eight questions, then you go back through each of the answers and look for what what natural human emotions are happening at each of these points. Oh, right here, Bob's frustrated, and right here, Sally's super excited. And, you know, just look for the natural emotions, and then figure out well which of them is going to be the most um, helpful at getting this buyer to do what I want to do. And then once you've identified that. Then you can apply some very simple techniques to enhance that emotional engagement, that part of the story. So one of them is just dialogue. People say what they think and feel, right? So dialogue around that place will bring out some emotion. Um, tell me and show me are the other two simple techniques. Tell me just means name the emotion. Say at that point, Sally was angry or Bob was scared or whatever. And that'll, that's the easiest way to do it. The show me is more fun though. The show me is, and it's not acting. You don't, acted out, but um, describing the physical manifestations of the emotion on the character. So instead of saying she was sad, say she started crying. Well, people cry when they're sad, right? Your audience will figure it out. Or instead of saying he was angry, say he started yelling. People yell when they're angry, right? And there's something just more human about seeing the behavior and having to infer the emotion that's just more powerful than just telling them straight up front, well, Bob was angry, Sally was sad. What are the most important stories that a salesperson needs to tell throughout the sales cycle? Yeah, I, I found I, uh, there are probably three or four that out of that 25 that really everybody's got to have. I think uh, a problem story, that I think I described it earlier, a story about the problem that you solve. Um, obviously, a customer success story. You got to have dozens of those, right? Um, how we're different from our competitor's story, that marketing story I described earlier, is one that I think is one of the most important that the fewest people have, right? And it's, it's a story that it's kind of two stories in one. It's here's how my competitors would have handled this problem. Boom, 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 boom. Here's how my company 
handles the same problem, boom, 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 boom. And you can see the difference and presumably your company's better, right? Right. So telling that story, it's like two roads diverged in a yellow wood. You know, you want to see the difference between if you go down the competitor's path or you go down my path. So those three right there will take you a long way um, in your, your, your salesmanship. What are some pitfalls? What are some things that salespeople should absolutely avoid when they're telling a story? Mm. Don't memorize it. Right. So one of the other things I learned from the buyers that I interviewed for the book, um, I, I, one of the questions I asked was, what is it that makes a sales pitch sound like a sales pitch? And almost all of them, Steve, told me the same thing. They said, the moment the tone of the conversation changes from just conversational to something that sounds scripted and memorized, that's when I know the sales pitch is on. And they say, the hairs on the back of my neck stand up and I immediately go into defensive mode. Right. I'm like, you don't want that to happen, right? So you never want to deliver a story that you've memorized word for word because it just sounds canned, right? Well, the best way to not memorize your story word for word is to never script it out word for word. Unless you have to deliver it in writing, like on a, I don't know, on a website or something, never ever write it out because you'll be tempted to try and memorize it. All you do is remember the outline of the story, the answer to those eight questions we talked about. Bullet point answers to the eight questions. Memorize that. And then every time you tell the story, your brain will have to invent the exact sentences around that outline. And it will sound like the first time you've ever told the story because it will be the first time you've ever told the story exactly that way. Brilliant. In your opinion, what's the most challenging part for people who are getting started with this? What's the most, what's the hardest part about selling with a story? Uh, having enough of the right stories, right? Most salespeople have enough sales pitches. They don't have enough sales stories. So it's building up your repertoire. I mean, 25 stories is a lot of stories. Now, I don't think anybody needs all 25, but you might need these seven and I might need these four and somebody else might, you know, Jane might need these 12 or whatever. So you need to figure out what stories you need. And then you got to spend some time looking for those stories and developing them and having them ready. I mean, the, these aren't the kind of things that you just, well, I'll just wing it, right? Like you don't wing your sales pitch, do you? You don't wing your proposal, do you? No, don't wing your stories. Plan them out, pick, pick them in advance, research them, craft them out using, you know, the techniques we just talked about, you know, rehearse, practice them, you know, some just like you might a really important sales pitch. And then you'll have them like, like uh, arrows in your quiver, right? You'll, you'll have them in your repertoire at your disposal when it's time to use them. Um, yeah, just winging it never works very well. But, but it takes a lot of work to prepare. Oh, absolutely. And what about, what's your top tip for a salesperson who's struggling with storytelling, who just doesn't think they're good at it? What, what are some, some of your best tips for like getting, getting off the ground in telling stories? Yeah, well, the, the, the best thing to inspire your confidence is to know what you're doing, right? I mean, that's why most people are so afraid to like start using storytelling. It's because they don't know how to do it, right? And I'd be afraid to do anything, you know, fly an airplane if I didn't know how to do it, right? It'd, it'd be crazy. Um, so learn how. Take that time, like we talked about earlier, to go, you know, go read a book, you know, watch some training videos, whatever. So learn how. Um, and then 
find, you know, you probably have family or friends or coworkers that wouldn't mind letting you, you know, practice on them, you know, just like, just like you probably would your first time with a new sales pitch, with a new product, you're going to, you're going to practice on somebody, maybe your coworkers, your boss, your peers, your spouse, whatever, yeah, practice a few of them, but start by knowing what the heck you're doing and then practice a few times. And I think you'll get past most of those barriers. Great advice. And as an actionable takeaway, what should the field salespeople listening today do as a first step towards selling more through stories? Yeah, uh, make that wish list. That's the first step is write, write down wh what are the stories I wish I had at my disposal. And, and you know, you, you might need it. In fact, I'll, I'll send you, I'll send you this list of 25. You can post it with the, uh, the podcast notes or something. And people can just look through the list and go, oh yeah, I need number three, number 12, number seven, number 19. I gotta have those. I had no idea that number 21 existed. I gotta have that one too, right? So start with that list. Cause otherwise you're just gonna think I need one sales story. And you know, then you're just, you're not, you're underutilizing the power of story. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to attempt to summarize everything you've taught us about storytelling today. Um, oh, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> Good luck. I think I was all over the place. <laughs> no, no, this, it's, uh, this is fantastic. Um, all right. So storytelling is, uh, it's, it's both uh, important influencing. It's a, it's a really important influencing tool for salespeople. Uh, it, can, it can reach both the rational parts of the brain and also the decision-making parts of the brain. A sales story is a story that helps you move your prospects along to the next step of a sales process. You wanna tell different stories as you move through the sales process. When you meet a prospect, you can tell a what I do story. During the first sales call, you can tell stories that build rapport, right? Like why I do what I do or my company's founding story or how I came to work at this company. Then in the sales pitch, you can tell a story that illustrates the problem that your, that your solution does, right? Um, and then you can move on to customer success stories. Next, uh, you want to handle objections by thinking of the story your prospects have in their mind, like the negative story that they're kind of telling themselves to give their when they give their objection. And then you use a story that solves that that worry or challenge or objection that they've that they've put forward. So then to close at the end, you can tell a story that creates some kind of urgency or tell a tale of, of, of the customer who didn't buy now, but who waited all the things that can happen, right? Cause there's, there's risks to delay. And that's a, a thing that's hard that a lot of us struggle to sell around. You want to craft great stories by first knowing which stories to tell, right? So um, to do that, you make what, what Paul calls a wish list of all the stories you need to solve all these different issues. So you, you answer these questions to create a great story. One, why should I bother listening to this story? Where and when did the story take place? Who was the character? Where and when did it happen? Oh, I already got that one. That was, that's number three. Yeah. What did they want? How did it turn out? What did you learn from the story? 
and what should I do now? So what should I, what should I do next? Is that last one? Um, I think that's seven pieces. I missed one. I think my my notes are incomplete yeah. here. But <laughs> that's all right. Yeah, I think you missed. Um, you know, what was the problem they ran into? And then, ah, and then the you problem? got what did they do about it? Okay, perfect. What was the problem? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I just had I had where and where and when did it happen twice? <laughs> I my notes are limited, but uh, so. Try to create a surprise ending for your story because that will increase your audience's engagement because it releases a little adrenaline that makes it more memorable. Finally, create trust by telling stories where you've been trustworthy in the past. And a great example is tell a story about when you were working with a prospect and you helped them choose a product different than your own product because it was a better fit. That'll really resonate with them and build trust. Um, this has been really cool, Paul. Uh, where Tell me, where can our listeners read more about your work? Where can they reach out to you? How, how can they get to yeah. know more about the things you teach? Yeah, very good. Th thanks for asking. Yeah, probably my website is the easiest place because it's got links to my books and the training courses and all that there and my contact information. And that's leadwithastory.com. Uh, yeah, which was just the name of my first book. I guess I, I wasn't very creative with website naming after that. So we just, I just stuck. <laughs> Leadwithastory.com. I like it. I mean, sometimes it's good to, it's like, well, one of my favorite brands is Task Rabbit. You know, it's like, what does it do? It does tasks. How does it do it? Like a rabbit. What are you doing? <laughs> Teach people to tell stories. I like it. <laughs> when, should they, when should they tell stories? From, from the beginning. Yeah, exactly. I like it. It's, it's, it's memorable, right? Well, this has been a great episode of the Outside Sales Talk. If you work in field sales, you'll love Badger Maps, the number one sales route planner that helps you sell 20% more and drive 20% less. Get a free trial at badgermapping.com today. If you can think of any other sales reps who would benefit from learning the skills that Paul's taught us today about storytelling, uh, definitely forward this episode on to them. And uh, take care until next time, everybody. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Cheers.